Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you. Uh, it's great to be back. Missed you the last few weeks. Uh, we are kicking off the fall, and uh, we're kicking off in a great way. And we're going to talk about, as you can see on the stage, being lifesavers. And, uh, I, you know, the, the story that we just saw, it, isn't it incredible how people can make a difference in our lives and we don't even realize it? And uh, I, I really want to help everybody uh, today to understand, you know, what we're going to be focusing in on, what we're, where we're going this, this fall. And uh, we're going to talk about lifesavers. And you even get something to take home with you today to, to help remind you and, and think about what we're calling to you. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. We're really, really glad you're here also. And, you know, today you get to look behind the curtain and see what we're about, who we are, what we, what we try to do as a mission and vision of a, our church. And uh, I just want you to know you're welcome to come back as many times as you want. And uh, we're really, really glad that you're here. But uh, Lifesavers. You know, we're still in summer, right? Probably should have done this one in the beginning of the summer, but it's, it's just as fine. Our summers last a long time. Where do people go in our culture when they need help? Where do people turn to when they're literally drowning in life? And that's something, you know, I, I think all of us need to think about. When, when you're in a tight spot, where do you turn? Where do you go? when you need a lifesaver. And, I, and I, wanna, I don't know what your first lifesaver experience was, but I, I'll share with you mine. I, I was very young. I grew up in uh, the northern part of the central Florida in, in a small town at that time called Gainesville. And we had a huge university right there and across the street from my house. And, you know, my parents back in those days, they, they let us, there were five kids and we would run wild all over the place in the university campus. We get on our bikes, me and my friends from the neighborhood, and we ride all over. And in many places in the town that I grew up in, there were lakes. And in those lakes were these animals called alligators. In fact, the team mascot for the University of Florida is the gators, right? Uh, and, you know, that's a cool mascot, but when you're face-to-face with a gator, it's a wholly diff- totally different story, you know. Got this show out now. It's called the Gator Boys, and, you know, they play around with gators. You know, gators aren't a joke, but we, we would run around, and there was this lake right near where we lived that we would go to a lot, and we would see gators. And, you know, there were no fences. That was, you know, old school. Things, you know, close by, and they didn't have all these precautions and you know, so we would go down to Lake, it was called Lake Alice, near our house, and there were alligators in the lake. And so we saw this alligator, and it was probably about a good eight-foot alligator, eight foot long, pretty big, man-eater. When they get beyond five, six feet, they're considered man-eaters, or they can do some damage. Uh, I was about 12 years old at the time. And so we're, you know, we see this alligator and I said, you know, let's go for a closer look. So we get our bikes and we move closer towards, you know, to get a better view. The alligator was about 25 feet out. And so I'm moving closer to the alligator and the pedal of my bike gets hooked on a rock and I lose my balance and I fall into the lake and I went under. And, you know, my friends kind of freaked out. It it happened so fast. And so I come up for air, and then I notice the bank of the lake is steep. It's about three feet high. So I'm trying to climb out, but I can't because it's too steep. 
So I let my friend know, and he's standing up on the bank, and I said, I can't, I can't get out. And then I remember the alligator is over here. And I'm, I'm scared, okay? I'm, I'm scared. Uh, it's one thing to be on the shore far from the alligator. It's another thing to be in his element, in his water. And so my friend Chris Rowe, he lived two, two blocks down. I said, Chris, give me your hand and pull me out. And so Chris reached down, and he pulls me out of the water, helps me out, get up. I'm, I'm completely soaked. And let me tell you, when I got out of the water, I felt a sense of relief. And we're all wondering where the alligator is, right? So we turn around, we look, and so where's the gator? And the gator is underwater. We didn't know. He's, he's gone. So we waited. And the gator floats up about six feet from where I fell in the water. I was even more scared. I looked at my friend Chris, and I said, Chris, you just saved my life. Now, I don't know if the gator would have bit me but, or if what would have happened, but let me just tell you, at that moment, Chris Rowe was a lifesaver. See, because when, when you look at the gator above the water, this is what you see, but this is a below water. And where I'm from, the people get attacked. Children get attacked by alligators. It happens quite often. So Chris was literally my lifesaver. So I got back home. I didn't tell my parents about the alligator incident. They said, why are you soaking wet? You know, I didn't want to freak my mom out, and I wanted to be able to go out again, you know. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just said, yeah, I, I, I tripped and fell into the lake. And, but Chris and I had something special for the rest of my childhood. There's a very sad part of this story. Chris Rowe, my lifesaver, lost his life at 16 years old in a drunk driving accident. And he was in the car with the drunk driver. That probably was the most impacting event in my life when I was a kid like that because when you're a kid, you know, 14 years old when it happened, he was a couple years older than me, you're not used to losing somebody at that age, particularly somebody who was your lifesaver, right? He pulled me out when I needed him. And the sad part is I couldn't pull him out when he needed somebody that night when he had a head-on collision in a drunk driving accident. It's sad. And he was one of three friends, close friends that I lost growing up in drunk driving accidents. But see, I could not help them. I couldn't be a lifesaver to Chris Rowe. Number one, I wasn't there. But number two, I was living the same lifestyle as he was. See, you can't be a lifesaver unless you're on shore and you're, you're able to pull someone out of their situation. It wasn't until later that I got my life saved, spiritually speaking, that I could have been a help. But, you know, it was something that, that always stuck with me. What is a lifesaver? A lifesaver is somebody who provides help that is badly needed. Do you remember your lifesaver? Do you remember when somebody was there for you 
when you needed it the most? Maybe, maybe some of you are here today because you need help. And that's why you're here in church today. And I, and I want to encourage you, you've come to the right place. Because there's people in this room that want to help. And I will help. We'll all help. We'll all come together and help. But today we're going to think, you know, and we're going to look at a story. It goes into the, the, the New Testament. It's a children's story. For, we teach it in Sunday school a lot. And the kids know it. But it's so, so powerful as Jesus models for us what it means to be a lifesaver. And this was Jesus towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and, and he goes to this city called Jericho. And Jericho was a very powerful city because you had to go through Jer Jericho when you were crossing to Jerusalem. It was a heavy agricultural city. It was also a city. Let me give, show you a map of where, where Jericho is. Jericho is right here where the star is. Jesus' ministry up top here in the very part, high part of the ministry, this is Galilee. Jesus was actually raised here in this city of Nazareth. And so this is where Jesus did some fishing with Peter and the, the John and James and Andrew. This is where he met him. This is where they, they crossed over back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. That's actually where some of the apostles worked and were fishermen. So Jesus did a lot of his ministry here in Galilee. But to get to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's down here. You had to go down through the valley of the Jordan River because people would travel down the river because there was always water and food available down the river. So this was a heavily traveled area. Also, a lot of agriculture in here. So Jericho became a bridge between Galilee and Jerusalem. And this was a mountain range on this side and a mountain range on this side. A lot of wealthy people would go to Jericho. It was considered like a vacation spot. Royalty lived there. Priests would go there to vacation. And there was a lot of trade that happened in Jericho. And so this is where Jesus, and this is Jesus' last trip to Jericho as he was going to Jerusalem for the last time. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read here, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Okay, so... When the word here, Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, that's the only place in the New Testament that that word is ever used. You hear the word tax collector a lot because that's who Jesus attracted. He attracted, you know, prostitutes and tax collectors. But you never hear, this is the only time that Jesus encounters this man, and he is Zacchaeus, and he is a chief tax collector. What's that tell you about Zacchaeus? Uh, he's pretty high up. In fact, let me tell you how he lived in Jericho, and it was, if you were the chief tax collector in Jericho, there was a lot of commerce that was going through back and forth, back and forth. So every time somebody went through Jericho, guess who got a, got a cut of taxes? And he had his, his boys out there collecting taxes for him, and everything came to him. A lot of scholars think that Zacchaeus was probably one of the three most powerful men in the region. See, because tax collectors could collect whatever they wanted. You know, there was an income tax, only 1%, though. Wouldn't that be nice? But they also had a toll tax. 
So if you're going through, they had an axle tax. If you had your cart, you know, you had two axles or four axles, there's a difference, okay? And they would, they would tax you for your real estate. They would tax you for the, 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 the crops or whatever you were bringing through. And then they had this thing called an arbitrary tax. Arbitrary tax was whatever they wanted to charge you. And you don't argue with the guy who has two Roman soldiers standing behind him and says, I'm here to collect taxes. What are your options? You pay the taxes. And so Zacchaeus is not one of those guys going around collecting taxes. He's the chief tax collector. He's the guy on the take. And so he was wealthy, but the truth of the matter is he was very wealthy. He was extremely wealthy because he was at the top of his chain. Verse 3, it says, he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, we're not going to make any short jokes today. I promised my wife I wouldn't make one short joke. Okay? But just so you understand, when the Bible says he was short, he was short. The approximate height of somebody in Palestine at that time was about five foot two. That was the average height of somebody. So if he was short to five point two, you know, five foot two, what does that tell you about? He's a short man. He was probably four point four four and a half feet to four 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 feet eight inches. He's a little man. But let me tell you about little people. They can be very high powered. And although he was Short and small, he was very high-powered. And it says here that he wanted to see Jesus. What's that tell you about Zacchaeus? He, he 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 heard about Jesus. People were talking about Jesus. It wasn't the first time that Jesus passed through Jericho. He heard about Jesus. But he wanted to see Jesus for himself. And this is very interesting. Why does a wealthy, high-powered, one of the most high-powered guys in Jericho want to see Jesus? What's that tell you about him? He's got things going on. He's got things going on in his life. And you may have everything, but you realize you need more or something's missing in your life. And so that's one of the things that... and so. He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. So look what he does. This is incredible. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, there was huge crowds. We're talking about a parade. Maybe thousands of people were lining the streets. So he had to run ahead. Now, let me just ask some of the older guys in the room, if you consider yourself uh, affluent and you're in a public place, do you run? No, you don't run. You walk. You got to maintain your, you know, your 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 your, your manhood. I don't run, and I walk. Walk like this. Okay, I walk. I don't run. Children run. What's that tell you about? What's that tell you about Zacchaeus? You really wanted to see Jesus, right? In those days, they would wear the robes, and the robes went all the way down to, the, to basically your feet level. So to run is even more difficult. He had to pull up his robe, okay, and run. 
That's very embarrassing. And then not only that, he climbed a tree. Any older uh, gentleman in the house that climbed trees? I, I, I do not climb trees. Children climb trees. I don't climb trees anymore. I'll sit in a tree, I'll lean against a tree, but I will not climb a tree. I, I've gone to golf tournaments at times and I'll see these kids, they climb the tree to see the golfer. I won't climb a tree. I don't need to see him that bad. I'll see him from the back. But what's this tell you about Zacchaeus? He's running, he's climbing, he needs to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. There's a need there. In verse 5, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. He stopped, and he looked up. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Did, did Jesus, how did Jesus know his name? How, how did they never met before because it says he went to see Jesus. It's not like they had this relationship. They knew each other. He was seeing Jesus for the first time, and Jesus stops, looks up at the tree, and calls his name. What's that tell you about Jesus? Jesus knew his name. In fact, Jesus very well might have planned the visit with Zacchaeus in mind. I have a special meeting with somebody and he, I'm going to stay at his house tonight. And I want to tell you this. You may think you're a random person, but Jesus knows your name. And you may think, well, I'm coming to church today because I'm, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for the Lord. I'm, I'm looking for God. No, no, you don't understand. God's been looking for you for a long time. He's been searching for you, and he knows you by name. And some of you have been stiff-arming God. And I believe Jesus wants to go home with you today. If you will let him. And take him home with you and take him with you the rest of your life. And so let's see, you know, there's this, this thing and it stops and it's in front of, you know, lots and lots of people. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. What's that tell you about Zacchaeus? He's fired up. He's excited. He said, absolutely, sure, Jesus. There was no holding back. No, I'm not sure. What's this mean, Jesus? You know, like some of us, when we come to church, what's this church all about? I'm not sure I'm down with this. You know, they talked about money before the lesson. And, and, and what's the, you know, people are so nice. What, what are they after? What's up here? Do you see any of that in Zacchaeus? No, absolutely. Guard is down. I want to go with you, Jesus. I want you to come with me. Come on, Jesus. Now, here's an interesting thing you're going to see in the very next verse, verse 7. All the people around saw this, what happened, what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus came down. They saw this and began to mutter or grumble or complain. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. In our terms, the guest of a bad person. Somebody who doesn't fit the description of who Jesus should go and spend time with. Jesus, don't you understand? This is a person that, you know, that, that they don't, why would you go with him? Come with me. Come to my house, Jesus. 
And, and literally, you've got to understand this. The people hated tax collectors. They hated them with a passion because they were taking their money. And they were exploiting. They were betraying the nation of Israel in order to collect taxes for Rome. So there was a deep hatred. And I want to talk about this here because Jesus is a lifesaver for Zacchaeus. What, what does it say about everybody else if they're muttering? Why, why, why couldn't they be happy about the fact that Isaiah uh, or Zacchaeus is taking a, a, a turn for the better? He's, he's changing. He's, 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 he's wanting to better his life. What does this tell you about these people? They're grumbling. They're mad. They're life takers. And I'd like to ask you today, which, which category do you fall your, find yourself falling into? Are you a lifesaver? See, a life person that's about life saving, they celebrate when someone gets when someone is saved, someone changes, someone makes a better step in the right direction. I gotta confess there was a time in my life where I was a life taker because if somebody made a step in God's direction, I made fun of them. Ever done that? You know, somebody tries to change, they try to quit, you know, the bad habit or the bad things that they're doing, and they say, No, I'm done. I'm I'm gonna quit. I'm not gonna do this anymore, I'm not gonna live this lifestyle anymore, I'm gonna start going to church, I'm gonna start Changing my life. I'm going to make changes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a dreamer. You're crazy. You know, whatever. You make fun of them. That's a life taker. Life takers are people who complain about a lot of things. They complain about everything. They come to church and they find the problems. They don't see changes that are happening in people's lives. They don't see the needs that surround them. They're critical. Why him, Jesus? Why does that guy up there get to speak? I want to speak. You know, I don't like the singing. I don't like, uh, you know, whatever it is. What's, what's this place we're in? You know, it seems kind of old. You're missing the point. See, people like that, and they have a perspective in life. They go around and they complain a lot. They gripe a lot, and they're not focused on life's a gift. Life is a gift, and when you get a gift, you cherish it, and you make the most of it. They're life takers. Interesting thing about Christians, okay, Christians. Gandhi said this. He says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This is what Gandhi said about the United States of America and Christians in the United States of America. Is there a resemblance between Jesus, Christ, and Christians? Too often, no. Because Christians become religious people who distance themselves from people like Zacchaeus or people that are hurting, people that are in need, people that are messy. And they judge them. And they're dogmatic about other people. And see, in our church, guys, and I just want to say, I, I, I want to remind us, we don't, we don't walk away from a mess. We run to the mess. Just like Jesus would. See, Jesus took the messiest guy in the city of Jericho. He took the worst one, the guy who was at the top of corruption, of, of, of you know, just, just really, really bad stuff, and he went after him when he was open. 
You know, and, and maybe you're a guest here today and you go, yeah, I identify with Gandhi because I, I don't like Christians and I don't like church. You know what? The truth of the matter is many of you have turned your back on God because of angry Christians or life taker Christians. You see uh, a lot of hypocrisy in your life. And I did this for a long time. I said, ah, I'm not going to become a Christian because Christians are all hypocrites. Yeah, we are. We got our failures and we're a work in progress all the time. But let me tell you, the failures of others should not be an excuse to distance yourself from the Savior of the world. And And Savior God, who's been reaching out to you. Don't let somebody script for you who Jesus is. See, Zacchaeus knew about the religious world. He'd been pushed back and sidearmed, but he says, I want to see Jesus. And so he pursued Jesus. He he didn't stop searching. He He didn't accept excuses. He kept on coming, and he kept on coming. So I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're one of those people that's kind of cynical with your arms crossed and, you know, and you're like, I don't know about this Christian thing, and they're all a bunch of, you know, hypocrites and, you know, they got the problems and who knows what they're doing on the side. They don't really live the life. How long are you going to put God off? Continue. Verse 8. And this is so cool. What You know, he hears the grumbling. He hears the people complaining. And look what he does. He says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look here and now. Look, Lord, here and now. I give you half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. Anybody have any idea how wealthy Zacchaeus was? Scholars estimate that he was one of the wealthiest men. If he was a chief tax collector, he was one of the wealthiest men in Jericho and in the region because Jericho was a very high-powered city. More than like he was what we would consider a multimillionaire. Do you realize the significance of this statement? Half? How many wealthy people are going to say, I don't going to give 10% to the Lord. Forget about 10%. I'm giving half. Let's say he had 10 million. Let's say he had 20 million. I'm giving, I'm giving five. I'm giving $10 million to the poor. Come and get it. Anybody need money? Come and get it. I'm giving it today, here and now. Not tomorrow, not in a year. I'm giving it right now. Whoa. This is powerful. Everybody knew that he had a lot of money. If you were poor and you heard him say this, what would you do? Let's go. I need, I'm poor. This is huge. See, right here on the spot, Zacchaeus had a value change. See, it wasn't about money. His value system changed completely. He wasn't about things anymore. He was about being right with God. That's what mattered. And he knew to be right with God, you've got to help people in need. And that was one of his first steps. And then this thing about cheating out of it. You think he cheated anybody? Man, I'm sure there was a line of people. But he says, I want to make things right. I want to make things right with whoever I have to. This is huge. This is what you call a conversion. On the spot, here and now, Lord, and he's telling Jesus, I'm, I'm done. I'm turning myself in. I, I, I'm going to give my life to you. Whatever it means, I'm, I'm changed. Now, 
he went home with Jesus. I'm sure they had, you know, some more Bible study or follow-up, and there was more details to it. This just wasn't bang, bang, and that's it. But it was significant. It's huge. Verse 9. Jesus, Jesus hears his response, and he said to him, and he looks at Zacchaeus in the eye, and he says, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, this tax collector, this bad person who you call, who you've pushed aside, this bad person is a son of Abraham. What does that mean? You are a, he is a child of God. And let me say this. Everyone here today, I don't care what your background, what your life, what you've done, what you're carrying, what your story is, you are a child of God. And Jesus wants to extend his hand to you today. It's powerful. Today, not tomorrow, not in a week, not in four weeks, not next month. You know how we do that with God? We say, you know, once I get done with school, when I get done with high school, when I get done with this year, the semester, then I'll change. Jesus said today it happened. You know why? Because he turned himself in. He said, I'm not going to wait. I don't know if Jesus is coming back through. And the fact is, Jesus was not coming back through. This is the most powerful description. Jesus basically reveals to us his mission statement. Verse 10, it says, for the son of man. Why am I doing this with Zacchaeus? I want you to be clear what I'm about. The son of man came to seek and to save who? Say it with me. The lost. Who's lost? All of us. Aren't you glad that Jesus came? Jesus did not come to heal people, although he did. Jesus did not come to feed people, although he did. Jesus did not come to show God's compassion, although he did. Jesus came to seek and save people who were lost. Man, I'm so glad he came for that reason. Aren't you? See, Jesus is a lifesaver. Jesus pulls us out and came for that very reason. And so let's ask ourselves the question, if Jesus is a lifesaver, what about us who follow Jesus? See, Jesus equals lifesaver. Jesus' follower equals what? Should be lifesaver, but let's be honest. Are you and I, and I'm talking to our members here in the church, people who have decided to follow Jesus. If you're a guest here, you sit back and you take a little break, check your email, check a text, whatever you have to do. Take a minute. I want to talk to our members. Finish this equation. Are you a lifesaver? Are you so busy with your stuff and your life and your busyness that you don't have time for other people? So this fall, we want to come into the fall. Look, look, at, look around here at all the empty seats. And, you know, we got a stack of chairs back there in the back. I mean, a bunch of them. we got room in the children's ministry. Do you think there's any more Zacchaeuses here in our community? 
Do you think there's any more people? People get so, you know, they're like, oh, man, Robin Williams, he took his life. It's so sad. And it's everywhere. They're talking about Robin Williams and how tragic a story is. He made other people laugh, but when he needed someone to help him laugh, there was nobody there to help him. Do you know how many hundreds of people here in the Los Angeles area took their life this last week and we never heard a peep about it? They're not on the front page of People magazine. They're not on the news. They're not doing, you know, these, you know, these, these storylines. They're just a person like you and me. And they were at the bottom. They were at the end of their rope. And it was so sad. They were in need. They needed it badly. And there was no one there to help them. And that, that's suicide. What about relationships that are in trouble? People at the end, a marriage that's about to end, a family that's about to break apart. You think there's a need for lifesavers in our community today? Someone to stop on their way to Jericho and look up and say, hey, I want to come to your house. I want to help you. I want to offer you a hand. And, you know, you think about being a lifesaver. Lifesaver is, is like this. You've, you've got somebody who's in need and basically... You see their need, and you, you look at them, and you throw them the life ring. And I want to introduce to you guys, uh, this is Clayton. And his, and his wife. And his wife, uh, Sochi. They've been coming to church for a few months, and they've been studying the Bible. And as they've been studying the Bible, they've needed a, a lifeline. And so we, we uh, the, the, the group in Whittier, which I, I love and appreciate so much, the group in Whittier, they, they've, been, they've been pulling them in, pulling them in, okay? Come on in, guys. We want to help your marriage. We want to help you. We want to pull you guys in and help you today, pull you out of the water and save you from a lot of what this life has to offer. So today... After we finish this service, Clayton and Sochi are getting baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Today. Today. You guys need to get ready. And, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, and, and it's not tomorrow, it's not next week. You're getting baptized today. Today, salvation is coming to that house. You know, and, I, you know, I appreciate Danny and Teresa. They, they, best friends from childhood, right, Danny? Cousins. Even closer. <laughs> Danny got baptized, uh, what, a year ago? Seven months. So Danny understood. I got saved. Now I'm a lifesaver. So he called Clayton and said, Clayton, come on out. And Clayton's been coming since the beginning of the year. So I want to ask you, are you reaching out? Are you trying to help people? Is your life too busy? You know, you, you got to go back and ask yourself, are you really serious about following Jesus? Or are you like those people in the crowds that's complaining and going, well, I don't know. You know, last week I, I had the privilege to go back to a, a city where I spent uh, eight years as a missionary, Mexico City. 
And they had a national conference. It was, you know, thousands of people there. And I was there with all these people. And it was amazing. And people kept coming up to me all over the place. And, and they recognized me. They'd spot me out of the crowd. And then it went viral on Facebook and pictures of me and, and, and all this stuff. And, and I, I was overwhelmed. See, because it's been a long time. I haven't lived in Mexico City since, you know, 14 years ago when I lived there. It's been a long time. But there were hundreds of people that came up to me and expressed gratitude for what we did as, as a, in our mission in the church. And it took a village. It wasn't just me, but they, they, they identified it. And I was blown away. You know why? Because when I met some of these people and we studied the Bible with them, they were single. Now they're married. And they got kids. And their kids are tall now. You know, and they're taller than them. And I was like, wow. And he got, yeah, our son got baptized and our daughter got baptized and our whole household is with Jesus now. I was speechless. And these were hundreds of people. And there were thousands of people that were meeting there on that Sunday that we met last Sunday. Hundreds of people whose lives were changed. See, the reason why I mention this is, guys, you have no idea what we're a part of. What we're doing right now, what we do this fall between September and December is so significant, it will outlive you and me. People will be forever grateful for you throwing them a life ring. Okay? But it's nothing to stop there with people outside the church. Lifesavers. What, is that, what does it mean to me and my life, my schedule? What's my mission? And so I'm going to ask the, the ushers, I got something for you, if you guys could come on in. I'm going to literally give you something to take home today. I'm going to give you a pack of lifesavers. Okay? Now, but before you take the lifesavers, it comes with a clause. Do not take the lifesavers if you're not going to, you know, basically agree what this means. The motto for, for Lifesavers is they were made, this is the old tagline of Lifesavers, they were made to share. So if you take a pack of Lifesavers today, I want you to share them. And not just with anybody, not to the person next to you or your children or anybody else. I want you to share them with somebody you've not met. A perfect stranger. And walk up to them. I'm talking to our members. If you're a guest here today, you get free lifesavers, no problem, no, no big deal, okay? Just chew, chew on what I'm talking about because you too can make a difference. But you take a lifesaver up to a stranger and say, hey, would you like a lifesaver? And can I, can I tell you a little bit about my story? See, because a while back I was in a tough spot and, and I started seeking God. And you begin the conversation. And you see where God goes with it. So you guys go ahead and pass out one lifesaver per, per person. Don't take three or two. Again, do not eat them in here. Okay, please don't. And do not keep them to yourself. Lifesavers were created. That's why there's ten in a pack. Don't open them inside. But they're for sharing. Please share your lifesavers with people out there that need help.
Okay, let's keep on, let's keep on rolling. Okay, all right, now let's look at this next verse. James chapter 5, verse 19. I need your attention just for a couple more minutes. My brothers and sisters, this is Jesus' brother, James, who writes this letter. Okay? He's now a follower of Jesus. He's one of the main leaders. He writes this letter. Look what Jesus' brother says here. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you, meaning one of us, if one of us who are members should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is awesome. You know what he's saying right here? If you have a brother, here's Marcus, okay? And Marcus, go ahead and stand up. You can stand up right down there. I want to illustrate something. Marcus is a brother who's distanced himself from the family. He's got himself wrapped up in some things that are not good. They're not, you know, what God would want for his life. He's basically giving people the stiff arm. What James is saying here is, let me introduce you to what's called the shepherd's hook or a body hook. Okay, let me show you how to use this. You position yourself steady on the shore and you wrap it around the person's body and you pull them close. And what happens? They're going to resist a little bit. So what should you do when your brother, who has distanced himself from you, from your group, from the fellowship, what should you do when he's resisting? You say to him, Marcus, I am trying to help you. I'm trying to pull you out. Because I love you and I care about you. Will you come with me and come back? Now, if you want to borrow my shepherd's hook, you can. But what? And it even extends way, way, way out. All right? For people who are way, way out there. All right. And we've had some fun today. Talked about alligators. You got a free pack of lifesavers. And let's talk, and talk, talk seriously now. There's people out there that are hurting. And I want you to remember when you were hurting. Remember that time when you were down and out? Remember that time? You were far and you needed someone to save you, to help you. I'm asking you today, will you leave here today making that decision that you're going to be a lifesaver? That you're going to help other people? You say, well, I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm in a, I'm in a good spot to help other people because I got my situation, I got my problems. I'm probably like Marcus, I'm out there. Listen, we have a lot of opportunities to help people. Next week, we got bring your, or it's, a, it's a park service, you know, House Church Sunday. How easy is it to draw somebody in the park? There's thousands, hundreds of people cruising around the park. Hey, come on over. I got some lunch. We can play. My kids are here. You can play. And let me tell you my story. So easy. 
And in a few weeks, we're going to have an open house Sunday. Why do we have an open house? Because we want to open our house. We want people to come and see what we're about. But the only way they're going to come, the only way people are going to get in touch with God is when we throw them a life ring and we talk to them. We invite them. We study the Bible with them. I'm so proud of the Whittier group because these guys did the lion's share of helping Clayton and Sochi come to Christ. I, I just helped out, dabbled a little bit, but they did it because they cared. You don't have to wait for the minister to help. You got this. You can do this. You can help somebody. And then to wrap it up, say, well, you know, I just don't feel like I'm strong. I don't feel like I'm in a good spot. I'm going through a lot in my life right now, my marriage, my kids. My, I got a lot of pressure. Let me remind you, right before Jesus' trip to Jericho, listen to the words that he said. Before we take the communion, look at what Jesus was going through emotionally at the moment he was walking into Jericho. Look at what he says. Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. Yes, we're going through Jericho, but when I get to Jerusalem, look at what's going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. What's going to happen, Jesus? When you get to Jerusalem, what's going to happen? He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will insult him. They will spit on him. They will flog him. And they will kill him. Meaning me. And on the third day, he will rise again. Do you think Jesus was in a good spot emotionally to be saving others as he's walking through Jericho? These were his last hours. These were his last days. He knew he was going to die, and he knew how he was going to die. But you know what I believe helped Jesus keep his perspective and keep his sanity? See, there's something that happens when you help people. You get your focus off of yourself. And you focus on helping other people get to a better place. And so I want to encourage you, it just might save you because your problems that you think are so big may not be. These are huge problems. It didn't stop Jesus from being a lifesaver. Let's stop making excuses for being li not being lifesavers. And let's do this. We're going to take the communion now. So let's pray together. And then when we're done, we'll close everything out. Father, we thank you. For Jesus, thank you that he was mocked, he was spit upon. Thank you that he was treated in a way that we deserve to be treated. And he did all of that so that we could be saved. Father, we ask you to please forgive us for times that we've been afraid to talk to people. Forgive us for the times that we've been selfish and focused on ourselves instead of on the lost and on people who are in a much, much, much rougher shape than we are. Help us to recommit ourselves seeking and saving the lost as Jesus did. Father, we lift up his body and his blood that were offered up for us, for our salvation. By his wounds, we are healed. By his blood, we are forgiven. We love you. We thank you. Bless our service. Bless us and each one of us. Be with us, God. Use us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.